You're welcome to fan or do whatever you want to do to keep yourself healthy in this climate. Father, we commit now our time around your word, the scriptures. Your word is inspired and it's profitable to us. We pray as we consider the subject of baptism today. You'll give us enlightenment. We'll see something we didn't see before. We'll be stirred to faith in a new way. And to obedience, therefore, too. Amen. Amen. So, here again, definition of faith, as I've written it. We're talking about faith in God through Jesus, his eternal Son, by the Holy Spirit, where Trinitarians believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's faith which is according to truth. It's not just, oh, that's what I feel, or that's what I'm convinced of. It's, it, you need to be convinced of what is true. The truth should shape the way we think and feel, not our feelings and thoughts shape what we think is true. So, Faith is not a power we operate. You know, thinking of a faith, faith as being like a force belongs to Star Wars, not Scripture. All right? Use the force, Luke. Faith is not focused upon an outcome, but upon God. God makes it happen. God brings this about. Faith is Godward. And the whole pattern of uh, Jesus' teaching is have faith in God. And the Scripture that sums up the whole life as a Christian is the just shall live by his faith. It's our way of life. Today we come to faith and baptism. I can't go through a series on faith, and this is up to number 11 in the series now, without talking about baptism. And, uh, is baptism being washed in water, calling upon the name of the Lord, necessary to saving faith? Now, most Christian churches would say a qualified yes. You know, you, of course you can be saved without being baptized, if, if that is the situation you're in. But if you, if, you, if you become a Christian and you have, it is possible for you to be baptized and, and you understand about baptism and you're offered baptism, you should be baptized to complete and act out your faith in Jesus. A Christian should be baptized. Any exception should be where that baptism is not possible. Baptism doesn't save us for a saved person should be, normally speaking, a baptized person. But there are two main traditions going on in the church. Now I'm going to give you some long words now. All right. The first one is this pedo-baptism. People who baptize babies, infants. And of course the Catholics and Anglicans and others do that. So that the child joins the Christian household and the church at that time. In fact, uh, they argue that as circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, and eight-day-old Jewish males, male children were circumcised, so a child should be baptized. But one problem immediately presents itself. You didn't... Female Jewish children weren't in, in, introduced into the covenant. Men, male children were circumcised, and they, be, they joined the covenant. What about the women? There's another problem with this idea. Search the scriptures, and Paul often mentions circumcision... But he says it belongs to the law from which we're freed by, grace of, by the grace of God. It's part of the law package, circumcision. And we, we, don't, we don't need to be circumcised. Well, fine. But nowhere does Paul in his writings mention circumcision as equal to and connected to baptism. I understand the wishes of parents and church community to see their child made a Christian. Particularly in days when many, if not most, children died in infanthood, there was a wish that they would die in grace. To put that more starkly, people wanted to baptize babies so they wouldn't go to hell. 
But to separate those we have baptized as saved and those not baptized as unsaved is to take into our hands something that belongs to God. Because I have baptized this baby, it is now a Christian. Who says? Is that some sort of magic? God says. Not by, not by our actions. And the Lord is able to save infants and children according to his own wisdom and mercy. I believe that God is big enough and good enough to save children how he intends to. We mark the arrival of a new child into the Christian family and local church by publicly giving thanks for them and dedicating them to the Lord. And children of Christian parents live under the grace of God. I don't say saving grace, but Scripture points to there being some measure of the grace of God that rests upon your children because you are their Christian parent. There's an intriguing Scripture in 1 Corinthians 7 that, said, that talks about Christians with, unbelieving spouse, with an unbelieving spouse. And Paul is assuring these believing Christians, believing people, uh, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So even though they've got one unbelieving parent, if they have one believing parent who's faithfully loving them and raising them and praying for them, they they are marked by the grace of God. Now, I don't understand that entirely at all. But I, I believe there's something about it that needs to be got hold of. And that we, we, are, we are willing to entrust our children to, to be under the grace of God because we are their believing parent. All right? Um, I reject the idea we must baptize a baby to save them from the wrath of God. So the opposite of that, another long word, is credo baptism. We baptize people who believe. Credo is belief. And now, I only came across that word the last few weeks. That's <laughs> interesting. The person being baptized must be of an age to understand the gospel and to confess their belief in and trust in the Lord Jesus. Years ago, I would have baptized school-aged children who confessed their faith. But over the years, I've, I've learned it's wiser to baptize only people in their teens and upwards. Because part of faith is repentance. And if we can't have a conversation with someone who's been baptized about all the issues of sin and righteousness, morality and immorality, including sexual behavior, according to the scriptures, then they're probably too young to make that confession and to be baptized. But they can love the Lord. They can be Christian children. They can be filled with the Spirit, they can pray, they can prophesy, they can speak in tongues, they can serve the Lord. And I know what it's like to have such, to, for children to have such faith that if they offer to pray for you, you say, yes, please. Yeah. So we honor them as our fellow Christians, but we reserve baptizing them until they're of an age to face all, of all the more adult issues of repentance. That's my view. I don't doubt that God's grace is upon our children, all right? I think baptism can wait until they're old enough. Baptism simply means dip. Dipping or sprinkling. In fact, even the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, back from the 1600s, states clearly that the person or child to be baptized should be dipped in the water unless they're sickly or there's some other reason why that cannot cannot happen. They should be dipped in the water. And the oldest church buildings, going back to Celtic Christianity in this nation often had baptism pools cut into the floor. And I've seen two examples of those myself over the years. The word baptizer wasn't translated by 
Latin and English translators, because the word means to dip in water, like immersing a sponge, like washing clothes, like sinking a ship. And if the translators had translated the word accurately, translated it rather than just giving it English or Latin letters, they would have had to admit that their church tradition had got it wrong. So it wasn't translated, it was just transliterated. Let me headline some things that scriptures say about baptism, because we need to get on with the meat of this. Baptism is the confession of faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, there's a verse in Timothy which caught my attention. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. Paul is writing to his younger uh, uh, leader that he trained, Timothy. Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Confess the good confession. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Kind of clumsy in English, you know. Have you confessed the good confession? So the good confession was something that people would have recognized. We know what the good confession is. And Timothy had made that good confession. But what's the good confession? Well, I think the answer is very simple, really. What is the good confession? Jesus is Lord. That's the good confession. It's not a personal history of your sinfulness. People think when they're giving their testimony or they're being baptized, they're going to tell us every wicked thing they ever did. And I'm like, I'm not sure this is a good idea. You know? I, can be, I can be made very uneasy by some testimonies because it's like you've got to roll around in the dirt and then tell, tell us very, very quickly at the end because you've run out of time that now you're clean because Jesus washed you. It's like, whoa, is that giving a good confession? No, the good confession is Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me read to you the... the, the uh, Apart from the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. In Philippians 2, Paul says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue, every human tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's an interesting picture he's painting there, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing. It's drawn from Isaiah, where in Isaiah 45 it's Yahweh It's Yahweh to whom every knee bows and every tongue confesses. And then in Romans 2, Paul uses the same thing. As I live, says the Lord, every, the Lord being Yahweh in Hebrew, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. But Paul in Romans 10, 14, sorry, is referring back to Romans 10, where he says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with, the, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So we are declaring in that simple statement, Jesus is the eternal God, our Lord. He's the eternal Son, and my Savior. He's God my Savior. Jesus is God my Savior. God my King. In fact, 
We're saying some things about us when we say Jesus is Lord too. All right? Because it's not Jesus is Lord up there somewhere, you know. All very good. Yes, thank you. We are pledging allegiance to our king the way that the knights of old did. I pledge allegiance to my king. We're committing ourselves to him, to serve him, to obey him. We're committing ourselves to our master and teacher. Lord, teach me, show me, lead me, shape me. We're confessing that he has full authority over us. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. The question is whether he has full authority over me. Because I have to submit to that. I have to shape to that. And so when we make this good confession, and this is a confession that needs to be made when a person is baptized. When did Timothy, sorry, I forgot to say this. When did Timothy make that good confession in the presence of many witnesses? Most of us would immediately assume when he was baptized. He stood up before them, confessed Jesus as Lord, and then someone took a hold of him and put him in the water. He made the good confession. Let me say something here about his authority. Because God then organizes other authorities, national authorities, governmental authorities, church authorities, leadership, parental authority in the home. And I just want to make this comment. It's human nature to be rebellious and to, and to kick and butt against authority. But if we're a Christian, I don't think we're really submitted to the authority of Jesus if we're fighting all the, all the authorities he's appointed. Yeah? Be careful about resisting authorities because he made them and gave them. Now, if they're bad authorities, they're accountable to him for that. But, it, you know, you can't say, I just follow Jesus and, and I, don't, I don't care. About, you know, well, you should care. You need to care about other things because God's committed himself to, into those things. Secondly, baptism is washing away your sins. We, we saw it in the little video earlier. Let me tell you the story here. After Paul had risen, had seen the risen Lord Jesus fallen from his horse and been heard him speak to him, he was blinded for a few days. And he, in those two or three days, he didn't eat or drink. And he himself, Paul reports in an account in Acts 22, how a believer called Ananias in that city that he was taken to was sent to him by the Lord. Now, that conversation I would love to have heard. The Lord speaking to Ananias and Ananias saying, but Lord, you know, you know, who, what he's, you know who he is? So Ananias goes to Paul, and as he's speaking to Paul, he, 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 he prays for him to receive his sight, to receive his sight, and apparently he's also filled with the Spirit. And at that point in time, Ananias says, and now why are you waiting? It's like, I think Ananias has got, all his, got rid of his, all his nerves now, and he's full of courage, you know. And he says to Paul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul knew what his particular sins were. He'd lived as an upright Jewish man, but he knew he had blasphemed Jesus, had helped to, to, to create the first martyr, Stephen, being stoned to death, and then he had persecuted the church. He'd set out to wipe out the followers of Jesus Messiah. And Paul carried the memory and the horror of that with him for the rest of his life, but he knew that he had been forgiven by God and that he had received grace and mercy. And it was the value, the, the, the span of that mercy that fueled his heart. Jesus, Paul was baptized right then and there. Then he ate a meal, and within, within a day or two, he was in the synagogue and out and about preaching Jesus to everyone. 
and later became the mighty great apostle to the Gentiles. If we know we've sinned against God, baptism is when we renounce those sins. If we know we've got a, a bad history, that's when we cut that history off. We put them in the past. As I said to one guy when he was baptized, do you know where the water goes when we pull the plug? We had a baptism pool in those days with a plug in it. Where does the water go when it pulls down the, when we pull the plug? It says, down the sewer. I said, that's where your past is going, mate. Down the sewer. We wash away our sins and appeal to God for a clean conscience. Peter says as well. And we embrace a new life in Jesus. Now that's not to say we are only forgiven our sins at that point in time. But we're taking hold of the grace of God. We're taking hold of the truth. Saying I believe that Jesus is saving me from my sins. And today that old life is a dead life. Which brings me to the last point. We're going to run over time today. No, but there you go. Baptism pictures dying, being buried, and being raised with Christ. I want you to remember these letters. D-B-R. Died, buried, raised. It's the gospel, really, in three words. Died, buried, raised. But those three words are applied in the New Testament to us as well. There's a lot of scripture I could bring in here. Whole sections of Paul's letter to the Romans deal with this. In fact, Paul argues with us that we've been, have, having been baptized, we have acknowledged that we did die with Jesus. We were buried with him, and we have been raised again to new life in him. But I'll take the shorter version in Colossians. In him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now listen, what circumcision are you talking about? That you died with Christ. By the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. He's, he's talking about the cross of Jesus as being like a circumcision. It's a strange picture for some of us. And then we were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through, the, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So Paul doesn't equate circumcision with baptism with our dying with Christ. Our old way of life was cut off at the cross. In baptism, we were buried with him, then raised to new life through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We don't make dying to sin happen. We don't make the burial of our past happen. We don't make ourselves born again, raised to new life. But we act them out, believing in the grace of God when we are baptized. So when Paul wrote this, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is not claiming he's now living the deeper life. He's come to the higher ground, or he's become a first-rate, superior Christian. Not like the rest of the plebs. Have you heard people talk like that? I've got something, you know, that every, not everybody has. Paul is not boasting about his superiority. He's going back to the cross. He's saying, when Jesus died, I died. When Jesus died, I died. I haven't become a better person for dealing with some things and disciplining myself. When Jesus died, I died. That's where the breakthrough comes. Truth sets us free. Because the truth is you were set free from your old life, from your sinful behavior by the cross not by your self-effort 
When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he rose, I rose. And we need to be rehearsing these. D-B-R. Me. That's me. Dead, buried, raised. Put your name in the frame. You, believer, especially if you've been baptized, you've already acted it out. You have died. You were buried. You are now raised. We're not yet transformed. We're not yet glorified. Jesus, when he, was written, when he rose from the dead, was transformed, was glorified. He ascended to the Father. I believe on, on that resurrection morning, he was already ascended to the Father. But you know what? Our day will come. Because on the last day, Jesus appears. Guess what? Guess what happens then? We get to be transformed. We get to be glorified and we get to be with him forever. Is that good news? So we live in the now and not yet. That's not yet. But right now we are raised. We have a new life. That's the witness of the New Testament teaching. We are to reckon ourselves, particularly having been baptized, it was acted out. We are to take hold of that event and nurse it and treasure it and say, I I remember... Whatever my experience of becoming a Christian, it may have been a bit haphazard, it may have been a bit prolonged, but I know that when I was baptized, I acted out the truth that was, I am now a new creature in Christ Jesus. Dead, buried, and raised. Death, burial, resurrection. So baptism has been around since before Jesus began to preach, because John the Baptist was doing it, wasn't he? Calling people. It's, been, it's what first Christians did. Skip through that one. In a moment, we're going to break bread. Let me just say this before we break bread together. Please don't settle for a routine of church to define being a Christian. All right? don't, don't, don't say, well, I do this or I do that, therefore I'm a Christian. No, no, no. You're a Christian because you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you were raised with him. Jesus took you there with him. He died with you and for you as your representative, but you were in him when it happened. You were counted as being there in him at the cross, in him in the grave, in him when he came out from that tomb, however he came out of that tomb. We don't know whether he left the tomb and before the stones rolled away. I think that was the case. We were there in him. The thing that makes you a Christian is what we talked about a bit earlier. You need to believe from your heart and confess with your mouth the, the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and this great good confession. Jesus is Lord. And having made that confession, be baptized in water. To my right is our baptismal pool. I know it just looks like a table, oval table. But actually, you take the top off, you put a piece of rubber inside it, you fill it with water, and it's a baptismal pool, okay? We haven't used that for many months for a number of reasons, but we will open it up and fill it up any Sunday soon if you are ready to confess the good confession and take hold of this eternal life that is ours because of what Jesus did in us, with us, for us. Act out dying, act out being buried, act out being raised to new life in Jesus Christ.
Let's pray, then we're going to break bread. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have a saviour, we have a victor, we have a king, we have a master, we have a rabbi, we have a shepherd. And today again we come, uh, Lord, we just need to keep coming back to that good confession. Reminding ourselves, we need to say it as much for, for our own ears to hear it as for you to hear it really. Jesus is We pledge our allegiance to you again today. We give ourselves to follow you and be taught by you. But we thank you that the transaction of our being broken free from a life of sin was something that happened before ever we were born. It happened at the cross and in the resurrection. Thank you, Father. Amen.